In the United States, how we do work is drastically changing, and doing things like we've done in the past isn't going to get the same results. You define what having it all means to you. You define how much work you want to put into something and what potential sacrifices that you're willing to make. So if there's no longer a formula for success in the business world, how do you put yourself in the right place to get opportunities? I would say curiosity, that remains a constant for me. I think it carries the growth of an individual and in turn, the growth of a company. On this episode of Connected, the AEP Employee Podcast, we talk with Peggy Simmons, one of AEP's newest leaders on navigating new challenges. I would say for me, it's about being honest about my experiences and sharing that and, you know, being honest about where we get it right and where we have opportunity to improve. And why she wants people to know that failure is an option. Thank you for joining us. I'm Bailey Coltice. Imagine being 41 and becoming the leader of a company with a revenue figure of $1.2 billion. With this, you're responsible for half a million customers and more than 600 employees in your direct line of command. Oh, and your company is ground zero for the changing strategic vision of your parent company. That's what happened to Peggy Simmons. In 2018, she was 41 when she was named President and Chief Operating Officer of PSO, the Public Service Company of Oklahoma. Being successful fairly early in a career is difficult for anyone, and Peggy's done this while the business world and the country's social climate have been rapidly changing. I wanted to know more about how she got to where she is today, and I was lucky enough to catch up with her between meetings. Peggy, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Bailey. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. So when you started at AAP in 1999, you started as an energy trader. Where did you think you'd end up when you joined the company? That's a great question, Bailey. You know, in 1999, as the rest of the world was wondering if the Y2K computer bug would end the world as we knew it, I was actually starting to role in an industry that, honestly, I didn't know a lot about. And I think a more interesting starting point for this question is how I actually ended up on an energy trading floor. So during college, during breaks, I would go home and my sister ran a bakery and I would work in there to earn some extra money for the remainder of the semester. And I had the opportunity to engage with the people that worked there. I worked really hard. I embraced the customer service aspect of it. And actually, that's how I ended up at AAP. One of the individuals there, unbeknownst to me, knew someone at AAP, passed along that I was a hard worker and I was graduating and I received a phone call. So I think to condense it, I worked hard at that particular time, regardless of what the job function was. It seemed to catch someone's attention. And that is what I say I've done throughout my career. Work hard, building relationships, staying curious, being open to new challenges. So to your direct question, I think I focus more on those key characteristics than anything versus thinking back in 1999, where am I going to be five years from now, 10 years from now? Peggy, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that you're at an interesting age as a professional. Between now and when you started back in 1999, a lot has changed about work. There's been a huge push towards technology. We've also seen social media become a huge cultural force. And so one thing I'd really like to know is since you've seen all of these changes, what do you think the biggest challenges are going to be in the workplace in the next decade or so? So that's a great question. 
You know, I think some of the biggest challenges we're likely going to face are maintaining the culture because we will be in different locations. So we're going to have to be more intentional, more focused, finding different ways to collaborate. I think effective communication is another challenge that we're going to have. Uh, We are going through that transition where we are using technology more and we're going to have to find ways that we're able to collaborate. I think talent retention and talent attraction are going to be some key challenges going forward as people can be anywhere and do work. I think we're going to have to make sure we're understanding what the market is offering and incorporating that into our decision making as well. And training the talent for the future is another one I would say, Bailey. You know, employing skills necessary for functions that may not even exist at the moment that we're preparing for in the future. And that's a great transition to my next question. So some of the skills might not exist yet or some of the jobs might not exist yet. So as a leader who's hiring that next generation, what are you looking for? What types of skills are you looking for for the next round of leaders? You have some really great questions. Um, You know. Thank you. I try. I think to me, these remain fundamental. And I would say curiosity, that remains a constant for me. I think it carries the growth of an individual and in turn, collectively, the growth of a company. Initiative, willing to do your part to move something forward, coming to the table, identifying a gap, but also bringing a solution along with you. That collaborative mindset, and I always say understanding that we're stronger together. We need each other to figure out these problems and things that we're tackling. And I would say an entrepreneurial spirit. And, you know, when you are constantly thinking of new ideas to improve current practices, I think it can only help in anything that we're facing. And I think that's how we'll end up succeeding. One thing I've heard you say that I thought was really interesting, just in other things I've been reading preparing for this interview, is that you can't control what opportunities are presented to you, but you can put yourself in a place to receive those opportunities and then make the most of them. How did you come to that mindset? You know, I think that part of it goes to what I was sharing earlier about how I ended up at AAP and kind of some of those core things that I focused on. And I would say that in whatever situation is this continuing to work hard at it. So once I got to AAP, I continued to work hard and not with my head down, but with my head up and remaining curious about the big picture and how I could add value to whatever the project was at hand and what the overall goal was for AAP. And being intentional, I think, is another key aspect of that. I know one example is when I was exposed to renewables, and this was before renewables was the sexy thing, and AAP was predominantly a coal company. It took just as much education and discussion internally as it did externally to help folks to even listen and understand the benefit of trying to diversify. But you take on those challenges, you stick with it. And I mean, look, look where we are now. But I think it's a process. And to your question around the opportunities and how do you make sure you're putting yourself in that place, I think it's continuing to focus on the work and understanding the big picture and aligning what you're doing with the goals of the company. So I'd like to know more about maybe the things that you did in the background that people didn't notice, you know, outside of working hard that put you in a place to receive these opportunities. You know, I would say that building relationships, I'm often asked what prepared me to be in the role that I'm in. And I don't know that I could 
point to one specific thing, but every opportunity, I always tried to build a relationship with the individual in whatever project that I was working on. Um, I would say and when I was in regulatory, and I did move around quite a bit, but I remember having to gather data to respond to data requests. And I know sometimes people were looking at me like, okay, here she's coming again for more information. And <laughs> But what I would try to do is take the time to better understand what that individual was doing, what their job and process was, and also trying to share how the information they were providing was being included into the bigger picture for whatever the regulatory case was that we're working on. And so just not making it about the information I needed, but making it about building a relationship with those with the individual. So I, I would say that was one item. I took time to learn about areas that may not been in my purview. So I would reach out to individuals and ask, hey, do you have a couple minutes? I read you were doing this on AAP now, and I just wanted to know a little bit more about it. And most people said yes and took the time to sit down and talk to me about it. So I, I was curious and I was proactive on some of those things. And I would say another thing is knowing yourself, knowing what you're passionate about, what energizes you. I'm not going to say you're always going to get an opportunity to do everything that you're passionate about and that fills you with energy, but knowing those things and trying to align the work or the area that you're in, I think that that's another thing that you can be intentional about and, and focus on. And one thing you're passionate about is STEM education and getting kids into STEM at an early age. In fact, when I was doing prep for this, I was surprised when someone told me how young you think we need to start talking to kids about STEM careers. So I really think we need to start in middle school. I would honestly say start as soon as possible. I think back to some of my first exposure to STEM, which I don't think was such a nicely bundled term at that time, but it was probably with Girl Scouts. And I had the exposure to some of those non-traditional activities from a, a girl's perspective. And I would say that was probably my first exposure. But currently, I do spend a lot of time trying to get into middle schools when when available. I know a lot has changed with the pandemic, but exposing them to our work, what we do here. And I also think that representation matters and them seeing someone in a technical field that's a female, that's an African-American female, I think is very important. So uh, I certainly think starting the middle school is where we need to begin and continue on from there. So you mentioned the importance of representation. As an African-American leader, how do you give back to you know, the future of the company and to employees who are here right now? Yeah, I think one, I would say for me, it's about being honest about my experiences and sharing that. And, you know, being honest about where we get it right and where we have opportunity to improve. And I will say that whenever we do talk about it and have those conversations, I think we all grow from it. And I do think it helps us to make sure that we get on the right track if we weren't. So, I think that's one aspect of how I try to give back. I think it's important if we try expediting the pipeline that we can't underestimate the power of visibility, making sure, as we talked about with going into middle schools, being out in the community, because it is important that we reflect the communities that we serve. So I think that's another important aspect of it. I say trying to find commonalities and learning. And so I think that that is important because I think regardless of the background, there's a lot of things that we can learn from one another and help us to continue to grow in this space and have a more diverse workforce. And so I think those are a couple of areas that I would say that I try to give back in. 
One thing I'd like to know as we talk about developing younger talent along the pipeline, talk about getting kids interested in STEM, what kind of advice are you giving your mentees these days? Or what's some of the advice that you most commonly give to the people you mentor? I think one is be true to yourself. Make sure it's your goal. And honestly, someone told me that, one of my mentors told me that very early on in my career was just to focus on what it is that you want to accomplish and you're not doing it for someone else or some other reason. So coming into this interview, I have to admit, I didn't know a lot about you. I just knew that you were a younger leader that was taking over at PSO. And as I started diving into the research and really look at everything you're doing, one thing that I was fascinated with or that drew me to want to interview you is that as someone looking in from the outside, you have a lot on your plate. Being an operating company president is a high profile job that comes with a lot of commitments outside of work. And on top of that, you have a family. How do you keep it all together? That was one question I've been wondering. You know, are there any particular strategies or approaches you use to keep yourself, you know, sane, productive, happy, and healthy? Well, Bailey, I'm laughing a little bit because I'm glad that it appears that I have it together and that I'm sane. I mean, I think that's a great starting place. <laughs> but, um, you know, honestly, it, it does take preparation and being intentional. And I think you have to set boundaries for yourself and adhere to those boundaries. I think you also need to know that, yes, you can have it all. And I'm personally not a fan, and I'm glad you didn't ask me the question, is do you think women can have it all? I don't like that question because I think that is an individual, not gender-specific question. One, you define what having it all means to you. You define how much work you want to put into something and what potential sacrifices that you're willing to make. And so I always say yes. From my perspective, yes, I do believe that I can have it all because I'm defining what all is. I said earlier, you know, being true to yourself and understanding your why, I think that that's important. I try to certainly take time out for self-reflection and to take time out for friends. And hopefully none of my friends end up listening to this because they may say I'm failing in that area right now, but I'm working on it. <laughs> you know, and it's, it, it is about balance. And especially with children, I remember telling the story to a, a leadership group here in Tulsa and they asked me a similar question and I said, yes. So, you know, it's kind of when your son calls you and you're getting ready for a meeting and he says, yeah, I, I have um, the club I'm participating in. I have to wear a black shirt. And when you told me to get it out last night, I didn't exactly do that. And I don't think I have it. So, yeah, I get online, you order something and you have it ready. And then whenever you get a break, you swing by, pick it up and then you make sure your son have it. So you kind of intertwine all of it together. Make sure you have your level of priorities. I would also say, you know, I've always had conversations with my son. He always knows he's extremely important and number one to me. And he knows where I can make adjustments in my schedule. I do. And where I can't, he understands that. So I think it's about communication and that's an individual family conversation. And, you know, and lastly, you know, I say failure is an option. If we're not failing at something, we're not being vulnerable enough. We're not trying hard enough. And the key is that we learn from it. And I think that's important from a mental health standpoint as well. How did you become okay with that, with failure as an option? I think after failing and picking myself back up, I think that was part of it. I'm like, oh. I survived that. I think as you try more, you're encouraged to continue to do that. And as you overcome obstacles, you're like, I overcame that. I can overcome this next thing. So 
and I just think that it's important because from a mental health perspective, we get so locked in on it has to be a certain way. And if it doesn't, then it wasn't a success. And I often share that, you know, um, Plan A was not always your only option. It was just the preferred option at that time. And I share that with folks from a standpoint of we get so locked in on this is the route and we have to be able to pivot and adjust. And just because that didn't work out doesn't mean that there weren't other viable options. It was just the one we were focused on at that point in time. That's a good note to end on. So Peggy Simmons, president of PSO, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Bailey. I enjoyed it. Again, I'd like to thank Peggy for speaking with me for this episode. I'd also like to thank Whitney Emmerich out in PSO for help with prep and logistics for this episode. If you're enjoying our podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. To do this, click on either the follow, subscribe, or add button in your podcast app. Thank you for listening and stay safe.